1977, in the seventh and final season of the Mary Tyler Moore Show, there's an episode called Sue Ann Gets the Axe. Now, if you're not familiar with the Mary Tyler Moore Show, Mary Tyler Moore plays Mary Richards, an associate producer in a Minneapolis television newsroom. There's a cast of characters around her that includes her boss, Lou Grant, and a character named Sue Ann, who has a homemaker show on the same channel. In the episode, Sue Ann has been fired from her homemaker show and has asked Lou Grant to hire her in the newsroom. He doesn't want to. But instead of telling Sue Ann no, he says that hiring decisions are up to Mary, which they aren't. Lou then tells Mary that because of what a great job she's been doing, he's giving her more authority, which is going to include hiring. And then he tells her that Sue Ann wants a job. Now, you might be asking yourself, why in the hell is he talking about an episode from a 1977 television show? Where is this going? Well, I'm, I'm getting there. You see, in a minute, I'm going to play you some of the audio of the episode. I have it saved on my phone. A couple of months ago, I got up one Saturday morning and turned on the television while I fed the dogs and got a bowl of cereal. And I saw the episode Sue Ann Gets the Axe for the first time, and then watched it another three times. And if you've heard our earlier episode, Connor is a Peach, you know that moments of clarity are where you find them. Lessons present themselves in funny places, sometimes within the movie Kung Fu Panda or, as in this case, over a bowl of raisin nut bran while watching a 35-year-old rerun. In 2010, I was the chief of training for our department. I had initially refused the assignment, but it was made abundantly clear that I didn't have a choice. Bill Smith, who was the impetus for episode 84, had given me very clear marching orders to fix everything that was wrong. I was about six months into my putting the house in order. I had instituted new rules and procedures, and I was enforcing them with a draconian devotion and dedication to consistency, which is one of my core values. It was around the beginning of December, and one of the brand new recruits, who had only been a recruit for about a month or so, came to me with a problem. He explained that he had a really ill son, only a few years old, that was actually getting better but the illness was serious enough that his family had been granted a wish from the Make-A-Wish Foundation in the form of an offering for the entire family to take a week-long vacation at Disney World during Christmas. Now, if the recruit missed too many days of the Academy, we would expel him. We had a rule about that. He knew this. He was asking if he would be able to go on the trip and keep his job. I didn't answer in that moment. I set aside some time for consideration and told the recruit I would have an answer for him soon, but I didn't really need any time to deliberate. I immediately resorted to my default setting, holding the line and being consistent. If I let him go, I couldn't hold any of the other recruits to the absence policy. So, because the rules are the rules, and because I was put in place by Bill Smith to enforce the rules and because I cherish consistency as a form of fairness above all else, I called the recruit into my office the next day and told him that if he went on the trip and missed more than the allowed number of absences, he would be fired. He couldn't be gone that many days. I hoped his family would have fun without him, but if he wanted to be a firefighter, he needed to be a firefighter. Let that sink in. I made a young man who wanted to be a firefighter measure his commitment to our department and to the fire service against his very sick son and family, having what I'm sure was a well-deserved vacation. Now, don't think that I derived any joy from it, quite the contrary. 
and the recruit was very understanding. In a weird way, it almost made the whole thing more difficult for me, him being so understanding. He chose not to go on the trip and remain in the recruit class. I remember being ever so smugly satisfied with myself that I was upholding the rules and enforcing them without being swayed by appeals of emotion. I was sure a lesser chief of training would have caved or at least passed the decision up the chain for someone else to shoulder. No, I did it. I faced temptation and did not bend. I was immune to stories of very sick children. I saw myself as being known as a paragon of integrity in the department, a titan among leaders. So back to the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mary keeps getting approached by Sue Ann, who literally begs Mary for a job in the newsroom multiple times in increasingly ridiculous situations. It's all very funny for a time, but as the episode goes on, Sue Ann's pleading turns from being played for laughs to a much more serious tone. In the end, Sue Ann is desperate and in tears, and Mary, who for all seven seasons of the show has been its heart, gives in and tells Sue Ann she can have a job in the newsroom, even though Mary knows that Sue Ann doesn't have any of the skills she'll need to do the job. And then this happens. That was a nice thing you did. That was a terrible thing I did. I hired someone for all the wrong reasons. Not on the basis of merit or qualifications, but simply because I felt sorry for her. That's not such a terrible reason. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Mr. Green, there are people who went to journalism school who worked long, hard hours to get a chance at a job in this newsroom. And they deserved it. And now they won't get that chance because I weakened, because I felt guilty. Because I had pity for someone. Well, it's not the first time it's happened. <sighs> well, a good news executive wouldn't have done that. I did. When? Seven years ago... A young girl walked into my office, and even though she had never been in a newsroom before, she had the audacity to sputter out a request for a job as an associate producer. You know who I'm talking about? I didn't have very many qualifications, did I? You had silch. <laughs> I ever tell you the reason why I hired you? A little run. A tiny little run in your stocking, on your knee. And you kept trying to cover it up. A little run. And, and, and you noticed that? That's well, hard not to notice something with two hands, a pocketbook, and a leg over it. <laughs> I thought to myself, what kind of a girl is this who is so afraid of a thing like that? Do you think that was a bad reason to hire you? It's kind of sweet. It's damn sweet. That's what I've been trying to tell you. There are plenty of times in life when you do the competent, responsible thing. But every once in a while, we need to be damn sweet. If we're lucky, we'll never have to regret it. And that's the moment where it all came together for me. With a spoonful of raisin nut bran in my mouth, I realized why my decision all those years ago was a horrible mistake. Now, some of you may be thinking that it wasn't a mistake to deny the recruit leave, that I wasn't wrong, that I protected the integrity of the recruit class. I applied the rules consistently, and the department was, and maybe still is, better for it. And I would have agreed with you, as would Mary. 
As I was watching that clip for the first time that morning, I agreed with Mary and totally understood how she felt at the beginning of what you just heard. As she said, she gave Sue Ann a job for all the wrong reasons. Mary, the moral center of the show, thinks that she got it wrong. But Lou Grant, the drinking at work Lou Grant, the gruff and harsh Lou Grant, comes through in that moment and very slowly and gently reveals the truth. Sometimes we regard enforcing the rules as the hard part, and sometimes it is, especially when we have to do it with people we consider friends, people who have risked their lives alongside us, people who willingly went through the crucible with us in the most trying of circumstances. But as hard as enforcing the rules with those trusted friends might be, the harder thing is maybe knowing when not to. I regret my decision all those years ago. I really do. I think about that firefighter often. He graduated the fire academy, spent a few years in the department, and quit. I think he ended up moving somewhere in the Midwest. So what did I do in that moment back in 2010 that was a gain for anyone? How did what I do benefit the organization? Until now, no one else really knew that story except me, that recruit, and the fire chief at the time. So I didn't gain anything as far as a reputation. And the department didn't gain a firefighter. He left us within a few years. I enforced the rules in that moment without compassion or understanding and convinced myself that it was a strength. I'm not advocating for throwing the rules out or lowering the standards, and to this day, I'm still a big fan of consistency. I'm not even sure that I'm saying that I was wrong back in 2010. I don't know. But I'm sure, like Lou Grant warns, that I regret my decision. How often do we tell ourselves on scene, I'm willing to break the rules to do the right thing? Hell, episode 9 is about breaking several rules for the sake of what I thought was right, putting firefighters in harm's way to save a civilian. And thankfully, I didn't have to live to regret it in that case. So I guess my question is this. When it comes to fires and emergencies and people's lives hanging in the balance, I end up more than willing to bend, even break, the rules. So then why have I been so strict an enforcer of the rules when things aren't burning? Did I think that strict enforcement off-scene was the key to success on-scene? Maybe I did. Maybe it is. I don't know. Discipline has its virtues. Discipline is a component of consistency. But that's a whole different discussion. What I do know is that I wish I had made a different decision with that recruit. I wish I had seen that moment not as a time to enforce the rules in the name of consistency, but as a moment where lives were hanging in the balance. That trip, the result of a child's horrible illness, was an opportunity for that family that will probably never come around again. It was probably a chance-in-a-lifetime trip. And I denied them that because we had an arbitrary rule about the number of days you could miss from a recruit class. He was a good recruit. He probably wouldn't have suffered in his training. He wouldn't have failed any examinations. So the point is this. If our job is saving and protecting lives, what are we actually protecting? Respirations and a pulse? Is that life? Or are we protecting those moments that define our lives and make them special? Like a once-in-a-lifetime family vacation? Or even just a meal with your parents? Or your kids? How critical is the last time you see a loved one before they unexpectedly die? It's just dinner until you realize you won't get to speak to them again. As firefighters, we take physical risks every day. Do this job long enough and you might get comfortable with them. 
But whether on the fire scene or in the station, opportunities abound for us all as leaders to take risks not with our own lives but with others, to take risks on people. As Lou Grant says, there are plenty of times in life when you do the competent, responsible thing. But every once in a while, we need to be damned sweet. If we're lucky, we'll never have to regret it. Combustible is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to Combustible to make sure you don't miss out on an episode. Follow us on Facebook so we know how many of you listeners there are out there. And you can check us out online at combustiblethepodcast.com. As always, we would like to thank the Golden Dogs and True North Records for letting us use their song Saints at the Gates for our theme music. You can find the Golden Dogs music on any streaming platform. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you later. Later.